Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. It's just me, Rita, here with you today. I had seen the headline about 15,000 nurses striking in Minnesota and immediately had a rash of thoughts and decided to put up a poll to see if you guys would rather have me do a short podcast, um, some stories, or a reel, and the majority voted for a podcast, which I was happy for because it's just easiest for me to lay my thoughts out here. I had intended to talk about this yesterday and get it recorded and get it out to you um, before the weekend, but um, I'm homeschooling now. It's my first year. I think we talked about that uh, last week, Um, but it's just taking top priority in my home as it rightfully should, but some days that takes a little more time, a little more intention, and it means other things that are important go on the back burner because that's my number one priority. So anyways, I'm going to try to hash this out in as clear a manner as possible. I have a lot to say, and I hope it doesn't get all jumbled up where I'm jumping from place to place. It might, but I hope you guys can follow me. And I guess I want to start off by saying, I hope at the end of this episode, this has been a discussion where you have thought more deeply about the strikes, about the situation, about the state of health care. Um, because I'm coming to the table um, seeing hospitals as absolutely in the wrong, but not seeing these strikes as an answer and seeing the unions as a problem as well. I think many people who saw me post about this were immediately excited about the strike because um, a lot of my following sees the hospitals as in the wrong with the mandate situation and with how they handled COVID. And I agree with that, but we need to understand that or actually what these strikes were about. Um, And they had nothing to do with the mandates. And so we can talk about hospital accountability and holding the hospitals accountable to what they have participated in, but I don't think this is the answer. And ultimately, it's not what the strikes were about. So we're going to talk about what this strike was about. We're going to read some articles about the strike and see if there's potentially a discrepancy between what the unions and nurses said the strike was about and what they actually asked for, revealing what the strike actually was about. Uh, I'm going to read you a couple messages from people um, connected with the strike, including somebody who is connected with uh, finding nurses to cover the beds cover the patients um, as these 15,000 nurses walked out. We're going to talk about political agendas tied to healthcare. I'm going to be very transparent with you about what I was being paid when I left the bedside because we're going to get into nurse pay because that's one of the factors. Um, And we're just going to talk about the hospital in general, Um, not a particular hospital, but the hospital situations in general and um, issues with staff retention and with having staff. Okay, so let's start off by reading through a few messages I received regarding what the strike was about. Uh, So somebody messaged me that they wanted me to uh, do all the above, story, podcast, talk about it because they thought it was really important. They told me that they had dinner with a friend, um, their daughter worked in Minneapolis Children's Hospital in the NICU, and that it was very sad because she left her last shift prior to the strike crying because she knew she was not leaving those babies in capable hands and management didn't seem to care. And I said, it is really sad. I replied, "Um, I'd like to hear what they think will actually be fixed. 
She replied that she hoped that the general public could learn what was going on with the current demand on nurses. And she said, but to your point on what does that change? She says hospital administration needs to be held accountable for falling in line behind the CDC and demanding employees to take the shot. They caused a huge staff shortage by forcing good and capable employees out. I agree that they caused a major problem by forcing capable employees out and they should have never fell in line behind the CDC. They should have looked at the evidence, used the evidence-based practice they tout. I talk about this all the time. However, that does not mean that that's what this strike was about. And I think so many people who feel the same way I do just saw 15,000 nurses walking out and assume that somehow this strike is connected with mandates and it's absolutely not. That said, I based my understanding that this was not connected with the mandates on the fact that every article I read did not mention the mandates. Um, but I wanted to know for sure and I did get a message from another person who said they were very interested in what I had to say. Their family member was a nurse in Minnesota and they said this family member actually crossed the line during the last strike, like going into work instead of striking. But she said this time after the way her hospital um, doctors and other fellow employees treated her with her choices over the vaccine and masking, she did not feel like she could cross and support the system that didn't show any to her so I told her that I read from the message that it is a reason for her family member personally to participate in the strike instead of crossing to work. But my question was, do the unions see this as a reason? Do the unions see the mandates as a reason? And is it even being discussed outside of a personal reason for her? Um, because like I said, all the articles I read mention reasons for picketing, reasons for striking, but none of them mention uh, mandates as a reason for poor staffing issues. And I realize it is not, I don't wanna um, portray this as mandates are the only reason there are staffing issues in the hospital. No, there have been staffing issues since the beginning of the time I started nursing and long before that, it has been a problem. But there's been a marked increase in issues um, and we know that mandates have played a role either directly or indirectly in how nurses feel working at the bedside. So I asked her and she asked and she got back to me and says, sounds like the union remained neutral on the mandates and won't acknowledge whether that impacted the nurse to patient ratio concerns that they are striking for now. It says her family member's hospital actually gave out a lot of exemptions, but then came out with all these requirements for the unvaxxed employees that basically segregated them and made it obvious who was vaccinated and who was not vaccinated. And she knew of a number of nurses who had received exemptions, but found non-hospital jobs because of the segregation. So we know that these strikes have nothing to do with the mandates or the shortages created through the mandates or the treatment of nurses who had a personal decision not to get the vaccine. So let's read some articles and hear uh, what these unions and nurses are saying the strike is about. NPR, September 13th, thousands of nurses in Minnesota go on strike over better working conditions. Approximately 15,000 nurses in Minnesota are now on the second day of a three-day strike. The Minnesota Nurses Association argues their nurses are overworked, hospitals are understaffed, 
Patients are overcharged for care. All right, moving on to an article from September 16th from Business World. Understaffed and overworked. Thousands of Minnesota nurses go on strike. Some 15,000 nurses in Minnesota walked off the job Monday to protest a hospital that is understaffed and their union says has harmed patient care and exhausted healthcare workers as they negotiate a new contract with hospital executives. And we're gonna move on to another article in a second that's on the same topic, but I want to read these two paragraphs at the end that we might come back to, but I didn't want to forget to mention them because they're important to keep in mind. The nurse strike has drawn support from U.S. lawmakers in Washington, including veteran Senator Bernie Sanders. Nurses are the backbone of our healthcare system, Mr. Sanders wrote on Twitter, calling for fair scheduling and higher wages. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, labor statistics, employment in healthcare across the United States is still below pre-pandemic levels. Some 37,000 fewer people work in healthcare now than in February 2020, a September 2nd report from BLS said. All right, CNN Business, Monday, September 12th. Massive healthcare strike, 15,000 Minnesota nurses walk off the job. About 15,000 nurses in Minnesota went on strike Monday morning, saying they are fighting for better staffing and better care for their patients. In this article, Mary Turner, who is attributed to be the COVID ICU nurse, or a COVID ICU nurse rather, and president of the Minnesota Nurses Association, which is the union waging the strike, um, she's quoted saying, we are not on strike for our wages. We're fighting for the ability to have some say over our profession and the work-life balance. If you look at the picket lines, if you look at the signs the nurses are holding and the videos you're seeing on the internet, it says on strike for safe patient care. Um, They say patients over profits. But then if you read further in these articles, you find the only, or I find the only clear cut term, the only thing that I can find they are clearly asking for these nurses, is a 30% wage increase over three years. And I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for a wage increase. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there seems to be a disconnect in what they're asking for and what they say they're picketing and striking for. And another disconnect between what people think they're striking for and even some of the nurses, what their personal reason for striking for is. Um, And I know that I'm probably going to upset a lot of people listening to this podcast because I have nurses listening to this podcast and um, they're probably like, why aren't you on the side of nurses? And I am. I'm on the side of patients and nurses and safe staffing and safe staffing ratios and safe patient care. But if that's the purpose of the strike, why isn't that what we're asking for? There are some articles that claim that they want to have say over their patient assignment and be able to refuse a patient assignment um, without retaliation, essentially, without being sent home. Okay, but it's very muddy. Like, there's no clear um, statement like, we need this. The wage seems to be the only clear thing, the clear line in the sand. Another thing that has been talked about a lot in arguing uh, for better pay is the disparity between CEO pay and nurses pay. There's been a lot of conversation about this and some articles listing out different hospitals and the CEO pay versus nurses pay. And I wanna say too, I wanna insert here, nurses are not the only uh, profession in healthcare who have a hard job and probably don't receive some of the thanks or pay that they quote unquote 
you know, feel they deserve. Um, respiratory therapists, healthcare techs, um, surgical techs, you know, OR techs, all of these people, um, IR techs, they, they are like kind of the middlemen that are doing a lot of the work in the hospital, the actual work, um, and not really receiving the pay. Even nurse practitioners, if you break down an hourly wage of a nurse practitioner in acute care, they're working a lot of hours a week. I know some of our CV nurse practitioners were there from like seven in the morning to five o'clock at night every day. And then, you know, at least every third, if not every other weekend. And so, yes, they may be receiving a nice salary of 100,000 plus dollars, but when you break that down hourly, they're not making much more than the bedside nurse. Anyways, that's just an aside, but back to the CEO versus uh, nurses pay. This has been one thing that's been discussed quite a bit um, in these, in some of these uh, articles uh, talking about the Minnesota nursing um, strike. And I don't know, I mean, I understand and I'm not defending the hospitals paying their CEOs what they pay, but I never felt as a nurse, and I'm just speaking strictly for myself right now, I, I don't want to say never felt underpaid. There were specific situations where I felt underpaid. But for the most part, I felt that I received a fair amount of pay for the work I did. And I'll be really open about my pay. I'll get into that a second. But I will say the one, quote, unfair, and I hate the word unfair, but the one unfair thing about the way we were paid is we all received the same raise every year. I think it was my first and second maybe year of nursing, there was a sliding scale for raises and they were based on your annual evaluation. And if you had a great annual annual evaluation and peer review, you got the top end of that scale for the uh, wage increase. If you were kind of lazy and your peers did not like working with you because you sat on your butt and didn't do any work. And if you're a nurse, you know that there is a significant amount of butt sitting going on by some of these nurses they are lazy and they don't contribute to the unit. Um, if you are one of those nurses, you got a bad review and you received a salary increase, a wage increase, an hourly uh, you know, percentage increase, but it was the lower end of that scale. And so there was incentive to do better work. That said, um, I think it was like my second or third year of nursing. I can't remember if that was the first and second year or just the first year. But after that, uh, Carl Hospital, where I worked, decided to go to, um, they didn't describe it this way, this is my description, but a socialistic way of paying their nurses. They decided, you know, um, we're just gonna give everybody the same raise across the board. Unless you're in disciplinary action, which let me tell you, it took a lot to get into disciplinary action. There weren't like nurses who gave bad care going into disciplinary action. You had to be like bottom of the barrel and it didn't happen very often, but um, it didn't matter what your peer review was. As long as you were succeeding, a succeeding performer, you didn't have to be a high performer, you got the same raise. So if it was 3%, everybody got 3%. If it was 2%, everybody got 2%. It didn't matter. So there was no incentive anymore to do good work. And I don't know if it's like that everywhere, but I would venture to guess it is like that most places, especially unionized places. Uh, at my hospital, it was not unionized, but I would venture to guess that this is going on at a lot of hospitals because it's just easier. The managers don't have to put in the work to <laughs> decide who gets the better raise. But anyway, 
Uh, I will say there was less job satisfaction after that because, you know, there's no incentive. And it's frustrating when you're the charge nurse that people are switching shifts to work on the day you work because you do check on your nurses and you do round and you do help. And the charge nurse that everybody complains to you about when they give report and they tell you yesterday we were here and she didn't even get up for a code. She just sat and ate and didn't even get up and come help during the code. That charge nurse is getting the exact same raise you are. Like that's frustrating and there's less job satisfaction. So there are a lot of things that these hospitals could do to help themselves out on better pay and retention and all of those things. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit, but transparency with pay. I'm just gonna be very open with you what I started out being paid as a nurse and then what I ended up at my last day of work. Um, I don't know if this is of interest to you, so you can skip over this if you don't wanna know, but um, I think when we're talking about being underpaid as part of the reason for a strike, and I don't know what Minnesota nurses are being paid. Um, I don't know, California gets paid higher than Illinois. Um, I think Florida nurses make more than Illinois. Um, but there's difference in pay in the, throughout the country, just like every job based on you know their cost of living and things like that. But for Illinois, um, central Illinois, this is what I was being paid. So I started out at just over $19. I think it was either $19.16 and or $19.06 um, in 2006 when I became a nurse with a bachelor's degree. Um, then my last day of work in August 2021, after 15 years of being an ICU nurse, I ended up with a base pay of $41.63. Uh, I was charge nurse, most charge nurse, unit nurse leader was the other title they called us. Um, most shifts I work and that was a $3 increase. So I received $44.63 for that. And then after 3 p.m., my shifts were 12 hours, 7 to 7.30. Um, after 3 p.m., we made $2 more on top of that, $46.63 after 3 p.m. Um, and then at our hospital during shortages for the last several years, they had been doing um, different premiums. So there was a $20, $40, and $50 hourly premium over base pay for extra shifts. And so on a day I was charge nurse, if I had picked up an extra shift, I could be making up to $96.63 an hour. Um, and I didn't work 40 hour weeks. I didn't work 36 hour weeks when I uh, left. I was working one shift a week at the time and home with my kids most of the rest of the time. But for those working 36 hours, once they hit over 40 hours, they would also get um, half time on top of that. So had I been one of those nurses working 36 hours um, for what I would get over the 40 hours there, I would have been making something around $110 an hour. And while it's uncomfortable and maybe inappropriate to talk about money, uh, I like I said, think it's important that when we're discussing, you know, unfair pay that we talk about what we're being paid. And I did not feel like, you know, a $44, $41, dollars an hour wage was really super inappropriate. I felt well paid most of the time. But where I think pay comes in for most nurses, when regardless of what they're being paid, when they think that they're underpaid or when we think we're underpaid, it's because the stress of the job. These nursing jobs, regardless of patient ratios, nursing jobs are stressful. Um, when you have somebody's life 
in your hands when you're coordinating their care throughout the day, when you're the middleman between the doctor, the respiratory therapist, CT scan, um, you know, everyone in radiology, x-ray, MRI, <laughs> dealing with dietary, um, speech therapy, everything, and then still getting them their medications, getting them up to the chair, um, helping them with their oral care, um, turning them, making sure the healthcare tech has given them a bath and helping them with a bath. You know, when you're coordinating all of that and potentially have, you know, an unstable ICU patient on your hands to boot where, um, you know, anything could happen, you know, that is a high stress job regardless of the nurse patient ratio. And so I know nurses feel entitled to a significant pay, and I'm not saying that that's wholly untrue. you know, I'll go back to, I didn't feel like I was completely unfairly paid at my job, though there were situations where I did feel um, warranted some higher level of pay. And so the other part of that, aside from the stress, is the fact that, you know, when you do have poor staffing ratios, um, which often happen, do often happen, um, even before 2020, but it was significantly worse, after, not not during 2020, our patient ratios were really good then. If you listen back to some of our previous episodes, I talked about that. You know, I was calling off four and five nurses every night shift during the beginning uh, half of 2020 because, you know, we stopped doing elective surgeries. We stopped seeing patients that weren't COVID. Like if you came to the hospital, it was a straight up emergency. And so we had like half of our unit open and we were calling off nurses. So staffing was great then. Um, but Aside from that, you know, staffing is an issue. And then after, you know, the mandates took place, I know staffing was an even bigger issue on um, my former unit in particular. There was a very, very high number of travelers hired. Staffing was bad. I was hearing from my former coworkers that it was even worse than when I left. Um, that I, like, you won't believe this, Rita. It is so bad. Um, those were messages I was getting. But my point is when staffing ratios are bad, and when you know you have high acuity patients you're putting your license on the line and that's why nurses um one of the reasons nurses leverage higher pay or feel the need to leverage higher pay is just the fact that like you're in a high stress position you have somebody's life on your hands um, you could be sued you could lose your license and lose your ability to practice as a nurse. And so you feel you deserve a higher pay for the risk you yourself are taking, you know, the risk of caring for patients in a bad situation where you might lose your license and lose your ability to earn income in this manner. The other portion of this is nurses kind of have the quote power here because they're necessary to care for these patients. They know that there's already a shortage and we'll talk about that term also because the shortage is debatable. Um, the the fact that there is a shortage is debatable because it's not necessarily so much that there is there are not enough nurses to work. It's that there are not enough nurses willing to work in these situations or capable of working in these situations given their unemployability due to current uh, mandates. So that's another portion of it. These nurses kind of have the um, power, if you will to demand some better pay for being willing to or capable under current circumstances to work. And this is just one thing I wish nurses would have realized back when 2021 was happening, the fall of 2021 and the mandates were rolling out. 
I wish nurses at the bedside that did not want to get vaccinated realize their power like these nurses in these unions do because they're together they're going out and picketing and i'm not saying that we should have went out and picketed but we were definitely in a similar position where they couldn't have hired 20 new nurses on my unit right away to take care of these patients but we didn't stick together nurses crumbled they put their tail between their legs and kind of were like no you know i need a job i need pay instead of realizing they were the driver of that car and they could have changed a situation based on the fact that they are necessary at the bedside but back to the strike and the nurses um, picketing and striking right now i'm not saying that it's right uh, I'm not aligning myself with these nurses on strike, um, but I'm just going through some of the rationale that they feel that they deserve better pay. Since we determined via these articles that that's what the strike is primarily about. They say it's about safer staffing ratios. They say it's about patient care, you know, on strike for safe patient care, patients over profits, but yet their bottom line, the nurse's bottom line is what is ultimately being bargained for. Before we move on, I wanna take a moment to thank our sponsor, readkaleidoscope.com. Engaging our kids in the Bible is so important to Cecily and I, and I know many of you listening feel the same way. Kaleidoscope provides a wonderful way to do that with your elementary and middle school aged children who have aged out of the little kids storybook Bibles that they've read hundreds of times but haven't quite caught up to the adult translations that are written at a high school reading level. Kaleidoscope helps bridge that gap by retelling every book of the Bible at an elementary reading level in beautifully designed single volume chapter books. The best part is that you can buy them all individually. Everything from the story of Exodus to the Gospel of Matthew or for just $8 a month, you can get each book automatically delivered to your door. You'll get six brand new books every year. You can check them out at readkaleidoscope.com and don't forget to enter the code BOOMCLAP for 10% off of your order. Okay, before we get into the unions themselves, there's one more message I told you I had, and this one's pretty interesting. So this is someone who works in compliance for a travel staffing company, and she said she has so many opinions as well and basically just said it's a racket if you ask me and really scary because of some of the folks that their staffing company is sending there to work. The long and short of it on the staffing portion of it basically said that some of these people filling out the applications were totally helpless, couldn't get their name right on the application and just indicated to her that maybe they don't have the most attention to detail and maybe weren't the best fit to be in a job that's critical like caring for patients in the hospital but this is the part I wanted to highlight most from her she says mostly though it's just so infuriating that they come to quote agreements with staffing companies to pay them whatever they decide on so staff can be there just so the actual staff can strike so they're bringing in staff in advance so actual staff can strike she said and they know about it months all caps, months in advance. We've been recruiting from Minnesota since about the end of April. So if they have the money and know there's an issue, just pay your own staff or use that money to make it better for them without needing to strike. So a couple things here. First, let's address the money situation. I don't have all the details on this, but it's my understanding that some of these hospitals and healthcare institutions, particularly with unionized employees, have some kind of insurance against strikes so that if there is a strike, they're not 
dipping into their own pocketbooks to pay for these travel nurses or staffing agency nurses. Again, I don't have all the details on this, but I know there is something to it. And so if you wanna look into that, you can. My point is with that, the hospital itself might not be shelling out any extra money to pay these high-priced nurses to come in while their own staff nurses strike. The second thing I wanna say about this message though is just the oddity of the fact that this has been planned for months. These strikes are planned well in advance. The hospitals know about them. The nurses know about them. The unions have been planning this. They've been staffing for it and preparing for it. So it just seems very symbolic and fake sort of. It just seems like a big scene to me. Your, your hospital's not really in a bind or anything without you. Not that they should be because if you care about your patients, you want your patients to be cared for. You want them to have staff to care for these patients. You don't just want to walk out the door on them. But at the same time, you're walking out the door. The hospital's not really in much of a bind. You haven't left them in some lurch. So to me, it just seems like sort of a planned, orchestrated scene, symbolism. It doesn't really seem like there's any route to achieving much by way of striking. All right, so let's talk about the Minnesota Nurses Association, the union behind the uh, Minnesota nursing strike currently. Uh, MNA president, Mary C. Turner, she was elected Minnesota Nurses Association president in 2015. Let's read about her a little bit. Turner is an ICU nurse at North Memorial Medical Center in Robbinsdale. She previously worked at Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minneapolis for 10 years. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Turner worked in the COVID ICU at North Memorial. In 2021, she was elected by President Biden to serve as the only frontline healthcare worker on his COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force. She has received two of MNA's highest awards, the President's Award and the Political Activist Award. So back to what these strikes are about. If you were supporting the strike because you thought it somehow had to do with the mandates and holding these hospitals accountable to what they did to nurses over mandates, religious exemptions, and um, segregation, no. The president of the union was on Biden's health equity task force for COVID-19. So I think you can imagine where she stands on kind of milking the COVID situation as a healthcare worker. I also just looked up the union in general because I wanted to see what kind of revenue it brought in. I think it's important to note that while unions are non-for-profit, they aren't non-revenue producing entities. They do take in funds. And so I found one place documented that the Minnesota Nurses Association, which is the union affiliated with this strike, um, has a revenue of 10 to 50 million, which is pretty broad. Another place I found documented that they had a $9 million revenue. And so I guess my point in bringing this to light is just saying that these unions, while they are non-for-profit, they do take in revenue and they aren't just you know, leveraging the worker and helping the worker. That's how they get people involved in unions and that's primarily what they uh, promote that they do, but they are also involved politically. They are 
somewhat of a political action group. One thing that I've seen some nurses talk about who are very much promoting this strike, I've seen some uh, profiles on Instagram very much promoting this strike. Um, they've been talking against the National Right to Work Foundation. And so I wanna read a little bit from their article as well, just so you can see what they're about. It says strike would affect up to 15,000 nurses in the Twin Cities and Twin Ports, but healthcare workers have the right to rebuff union boss strike demand. Importantly, the notice gives workers who want to exercise their right to work information on how to avoid fines and punishment that would likely be imposed by union officials. The foundation's special legal notice highlights workers' rights to resign union membership and revoke their union dues checkoffs. In just the past few months, National Right to Work Foundation staff attorneys have assisted hundreds of Minnesota nurses, many in decertification votes, to remove unwanted union representation. And so I'll link these things in the show notes. Um, I'm just putting these things out there so that you can look past the headline of 15,000 nurses strike and you know, the issues of the day, you know, have been COVID and have been the mandates. That's where most of our minds, at least of those of you listening to this podcast, have been when it comes to nursing and healthcare. And so we think about that, like we hear 15,000 nurses strike and that's where our minds automatically go to, but that's not what this is about. And we need to look at the union, see what they're about, read past the headline, past the picket signs, and read what they're actually bargaining for so we can know what these strikes are actually about. Let's talk about patient ratios really quick because patient ratios are highlighted as one of the reasons. And so this was my initial reason for wanting to record this podcast. And here we are almost 30 minutes in and I'm finally getting to it, but patient ratios. So there's some legislation that has been brought forth and I'll bring this up so we can talk about it. It's um, Senate Bill 1567, Nurse Staffing Standards for Hospital Patient Safety and Quality Care Act of 2021. Um, this is in committee. It has not passed the Senate yet. Um, but basically, this bill is to establish direct care registered nurse to patient staffing ratio requirements in hospitals. And whether it's the strike we're talking about or this bill, both of these things have been discussed frequently on certain nurses' platforms who uh, are basically advocates for the nursing, uh, nursing profession as a whole. And I hear people, you know, just say safer staffing, better nurse-patient ratios, and you can't just go in and demand this. It, it just seems to me very ignorant that these uh, people are followed so heavily by the nursing profession that just demand better staffing ratios, better nurse-patient ratios without actually thinking about what that is. So a ratio has two components, right? And when you talk about nurse-patient ratios, there's a nurse and there's a patient, right? And so in order to have a different ratio, one of those factors has to change, has to go up or down, right? And in order for it to get better, you need either more nurses or less patients. And so when I see a bill come forward like this, I think several things. Um, and when I see these strikes and they talk about better um, you know, nurse-patient ratios, I, I understand after reading it a bit further that that's not particularly what they're after. Um, they're after pay, but you know, when it's something that they say 
that is the main thing. We need to talk about this also. So when I see a bill come forward like this, I think a couple things. One, um, we talk about better staffing and more nurses and the nursing shortage, but I see very few people, I don't really see anyone going around talking about how many nurses are actually licensed in our state and not working. That's something we should be looking at. I see mostly um, we need to recruit new nurses. We need to get colleges, you know, beefed up, pushing out more nursing degree students and need to recruit nurses from other states and hire travel nurses and all of these things. But we never talk about the licensed, capable nurses within our own state that are experienced that maybe aren't working and why. And the mandates fall into um, or under this category as well. The other half of that, patients. So if we're not going to beef up the nurses in our hospital, if we're not going to find those already capable nurses and get them back at the bedside, then we have to do something about the patients, right? We either have to increase the number of nurses or decrease the number of patients. And so ultimately, I see these staffing ratios potentially hurting patients in need of care. Because if you have a government Uh, sponsored nurse-patient ratio that you have to meet in order to receive funding. Otherwise, there's some sort of punishment, um, bed licensure removal. I don't know what the punishment would be, but there would be some sort of punishment for not following the law. Um, You're going to have to decrease your number of patients. You're going to have to say, no, we do not have enough nurses today, so I cannot take you. We cannot accept you to our ER. And that's going to be a major problem. I also read this bill and see that there are requirements. For example, ICU, it says two patients, but there are often times where we have lower acuity ICU patients where we could triple them. You could take three ICU patients. Um, And at the same time, like that same day, there's a patient that needs one-to-one care. If your staffing ratio is mandated to be two-to-one, you're not going to be able to make that decision to divert you know, one nurse to care for one extremely sick patient that needs one-on-one care where you cannot leave the room and another nurse take that extra patient because it says that you cannot, um, you cannot like basically use an average of numbers. You can't say, I have 12 patients and six, six nurses. You have to have two patients assigned to the direct care of one nurse. Um, You could have more than that. You could have more nurses than that and less patients, but you can't have less nurses than the patients required. Does that make sense? So I could see a situation where you have nurses assigned to two patients that could potentially take on one more so that somebody else could be freed up to give better one-on-one care to that extremely sick critical patient. But that's not going to happen because we have this set in stone government law guiding our care. And so I don't see this as something good for patients. I don't have all the answers here, but I'm just saying there are problems with it. And there's more to think about than just screaming better nurse patient ratios. You know, we need to think about the two components in the ratio, the two factors, nurses and patients, and the fact that one has to go up and one has to One has to go up or one has to go down in order to make that better. The last thing I want to say before I get into wrap up mode is we have to remember that there are political agendas in healthcare. Okay. You have to understand that there are politicians that have been chomping at the bit to socialize our American healthcare. 
We already have a partially socialized program with Medicare and Medicaid. That's how we get the CMS mandates. That's how we get uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid dictating our vaccination status as healthcare workers, you know, because they can withhold pay to the hospital if a percentage of their employees do not have the flu or COVID vaccine. So we're already under a partially socialized program, partially socialized medicine in America, but they have been chomping at the bit, some of them, to fully socialize our medicine. So when we see the mandate situation happening and the CDC and all of the things that happened in 2020, 2021, and still in 2022, and then we see these unions um, striking and you know all that's happening in healthcare, it's showing that we really have a crumbling system and the government has been waiting to swoop in and be the savior. They already have the solution. They are waiting for us. You know, they're just waiting for the American people to just ask for it. Like we so often do, right? Something will happen. The government is just waiting, you know, lurking. And then we finally think that we can't handle it ourselves and the government swoops in with a solution. Like this is one of those cases. And so as we champion certain causes or, you know, come out against certain causes, we just need to be looking at the whole picture. We need to look at who's behind it. We need to look at what it's about. We just cannot be headline readers, guys. We've got to go past the headline. We've got to look at the whole picture. And I hope that this helped you do that today with this nursing strike. I'm not telling you which side of the fence to be on, but I am telling you, I don't think this strike is the solution to what's wrong with healthcare and to helping with better patient care or better staffing ratios. I just don't think it's the solution. And one thing, as I watched some of the videos of the strike, I just, um, I didn't see a lot of wisdom and I didn't see a lot of dignity there. I saw videos of nurses shaking their booties, doing dances in the street, you know, carrying signs and almost like celebratory. And I just, when I hear a nurse tell me that their heart is breaking because they cannot care for their patient properly and that they're striking for better patient care, if that's what it's about, I don't expect to see partying happening on the picket line you know like i expect it to be more serious i don't expect to see the chicken dance and women actually holding real live chickens like this is legit these are videos i've seen and so i just i would hope that if we are serious about fixing these situations we we take the solution seriously right and if it's just about pay that makes a lot more sense when i see that on the picket line so Guys, I'm signing off. I hope that this was a helpful episode. And like I said at the beginning, I hope that you came away listening to this as a discussion and not me telling you what to think about this because honestly, because honestly, I don't have the solutions here, but I know there's something wrong and it does not appear we're going about the solution the right way. All right, guys, until next time, you can find Cecily and I both outside the podcast at theboomclapcommunity.com. We hold monthly meetings, getting together with you guys. The last one was really refreshing. We just had it a week or two ago. 
gosh, I can't even remember now. That's how things are getting. Uh, but anyway, it was really refreshing to talk with a few of our community members, you know, face to face over the computer and just hear what issues you guys are having. Hear the things that you want to talk about. We're getting ready to start our next book. We do a literary review quarterly and we're excited to read another book with you guys and discuss it. If you want to be a part of that, like I said, theboomclapcommunity.com. Regardless of whether you're part of our community or not, we appreciate you listening to this podcast. And one thing you can do to help us out is just leave a review. You can either click the star button or leave a written review, and we always appreciate those. Outside the podcast, you can find me, Rita, at RitaRogersCo.com or RitaRogersCo on Instagram. And you can find Cecily at Cecily.Dickey on Instagram or TheGraceToGrow.com. Thanks for listening, guys. 